Jory and I have taught eight of our kids to drive. Uh, We haven't taught our ninth, Erica. She has cerebral palsy. Her arms don't work so well. So we think she'd be kind of wild. I'm a type A, on-edge sort of guy. Jory is very calm. Uh, But when it came to teaching the kids to drive, it made Jory pretty nervous, and I've been pretty calm. So I've done more of it. Now, there are two ways to teach adolescents to drive. One is to teach them first aid, uh, show them where all the hospitals are in Portland, uh, uh, instruct them on how to contact the insurance company when they have an accident, or you can teach your kids to drive defensively so they don't get in an accident. That's what God does for us in His Word. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In these verses, God teaches us about the laws of consequences. He instructs us on in how we can make better decisions with fewer regrets. He tells us that just as there are fixed agricultural laws of sowing and reaping, there are reliable spiritual laws of choices and consequences. The first law of consequences we considered was we reap what we sow. Choices have consequences. Uh, We reap what we sow and what others have sown around us or before us. You drive too fast and you'll get a ticket. You take your eyes off the road and look at your cell phone and you might hit something. The second law we looked at was we reap in a different season. There is a delay between choices and consequences. You drive too fast, and you may get away with it for a while, but eventually you'll get a ticket. Usually there's a delay between choices and consequences. Today I want to ponder with you a third law of consequences. We reap more than we sow. Our choices result in multiplied consequences. Every farmer counts on this quantitative law of the harvest. If farmers reap only what they sow, farming would be a losing operation. For some seed falls on hard ground and birds eat eat up the seed. Uh, Some of the seed is washed away by rain. Some seed falls among thorns and gets choked out. But every farmer knows that we reap more than we sow. Uh, One seed of corn will produce a stalk that has uh, uh, two to three kernels, or uh, two to three ears of corn in it. And each ear of corn uh, has five to six hundred kernels of corn. So one kernel of corn produces, on average, 1,000 to 1,800 kernels of corn. Every farmer counts on this fact that they reap more than they sow. This law is not just true for farmers, it's true for every person, Christian or non-Christian. Don't think that just because you're not a Christian that this 
law does not apply to you. It's true for teenagers, singles, marrieds, parents, and grandparents. Parents, you must teach your children this principle that we reap more than we sow. It's true both positively and negatively. There's both good news and bad news to this law. Since most people prefer the bad news first, let's start with the negative implications. When we sow to the flesh, we reap a harvest of evil greater than what we have sown. Uh, Good and evil both increase at compound interest. Solomon writes, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity. You sow an injustice and you reap calamity. Hosea tells us, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. You don't just sow the wind and reap wind. You sow wind and reap a storm. One of the best examples of this law of consequences is David. In 2 Samuel 11, David has uh, reached such success as a king and as a military commander that he grants himself the luxury of staying home in Jerusalem while the soldiers go out for battle. One night on his veranda, he sees a beautiful woman bathing. Nothing wrong so far. His mistake is when he runs and gets his binoculars. He takes a closer look, and he asks his servant, Who is this woman? He says, She is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Now, David knows who Uriah is. He's one of his 30 fighting men. In other words, the, he, he's part of his elite forces. David knows him well, but he pushes ahead, invites Bathsheba to the palace, and sleeps with her. Then we read, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Murphy's Law states, if anything can go wrong, it will. Disaster of disasters, she was pregnant. This crushed any hope David had that he could keep this matter secret. So what does David do? So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. David doesn't really care about answers to these questions. He's just making small talk. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. He wants him to make love to his wife so that he thinks he's the father of the baby. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. I don't know, wine and chocolates, something to make the evening more romantic. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master servants and did did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah is a man of high standards. The next night, David invites Uriah to the palace again to get him drunk in hopes that he will go and sleep with his wife. But Uriah 
again refused to go sleep with his wife. So David turned to more deadlier tactics. He sent word to Joab, have Uriah be on the front lines and then have the army withdraw from him so he'd be sure to be killed. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed. David invites Bathsheba to come live in the palace so they can be married as long as possible before the baby is born. Cover up. Successfully engineered with no consequences. Right? Wrong. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. God waited nearly a year to give David time to repent of his sins. God is patient and merciful. That's why there's usually a delay between choices and consequences. So we'll have time to change our minds. Then Nathan the prophet paid David a visit. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man. This tells you why it's wise to do what Nathan did and uh, tell a story to someone. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan replied in one of the most powerful lines in all the Bible. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, what I want you to notice more than anything else is that David reaped more than he sowed. Now, therefore, The sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David killed one man. The judgment was that he would have people dying by the sword in his family forever. Four of his sons were killed by the sword. Shemaiah, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. David committed adultery once. His judgment was to see it multiplied in his family. His children saw what he did, and they did the same thing. 
David did it in secret. He reaped having it done in the open. Absalom uh, lay with David's wives in broad daylight before all Israel. David's act of adultery was done in passion of love for Bathsheba. His son Amnon committed adultery out of hatred in an act of rage. His son Shalom committed adultery out of spite for his father in an orgy. We reap more than we sow. Our choices result in multiplied consequences. Uh, Some people are surprised to find the law of consequences is still in play even though we confess our sins and God forgives us. David confessed his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, and God forgave him. But still, he reaped more than he had sown. A confession does not stop the law of consequences. One half of all divorces in our country country come from one of the partners having an affair with someone else. They reap all kinds of unintended consequences. We reap more than we sow. One man would be better off today if he had understood this principle. Uh, Years ago, married and middle-aged, he decided to have a a drink with a, a young gal. It was just a lark, he said. He was only looking at the immediate consequences. He would have been better off if he had looked further into the future at what might happen, like he might fall in love with this girl. It would lead to an agonizing divorce, and his embittered wife would turn his children against him. And then years later, he'd be an aging husband of a middle-aged wife, leaving him for someone her own age. We reap more than we sow. Our choices result in multiplied consequences. Let's bring it closer to home. Let's think about choices and consequences in your life. How about your body and how you treat it? Keep overeating? Continue ignoring your body and exercise? Don't stop smoking or drinking excessively? Play the movie forward. What will happen? It could be that you don't you walk your daughter down the aisle at her wedding because you're dead. Maybe you'll never see your grandkids because you're not here anymore. Or let's imagine what it might be like to spend the final 20 years of your life with all kinds of health complications because of choices you're making with your body right now. Or just keep looking at porn. You've been pretty careful to keep it secret so far. You haven't been caught yet. Now play the movie forward. How long will just looking be enough? How long until you're hooking up with some old flame on Facebook and both of you end up destroying your marriages? Or maybe you don't do anything but just look. But one day you come home from work to discover that the person you vowed till death do us part, has found out what you've been up to. Crushed, devastated, heartbroken. Your spouse cries out, was I not enough for you? Or keep spending more money than you make. Charge everything you can on credit cards until you hit your limits. And then just apply for more cards. 
Play the movie forward. One day when you realize you can't even keep up the minimum payments, try explaining to your kids why they have to quit the activities they love. Soccer, piano lessons, horseback riding, dancing, because you can't afford them. Tell your family that they have to sell their house and move into an apartment in a new school district because you've run out of options. People make bad decisions all the time, small ones, every day, that lead to tragic endings. Now, I have some good news for you. There are positive implications to this law. Uh, Possibly, I've discouraged you. You're thinking, if you reap more than you sow after all the bad things I've done, I'm hopeless. But here's the good news. When we sow to please the Spirit, we reap a harvest of good greater than what we have sown. This is the good news of the gospel. When we surrender our lives to Christ, begin living in obedience to Him, He graciously blesses blesses us far beyond what we deserve. He comes in and gives us a new heart that desires to please Him. We don't have to be slaves to sowing to the sinful nature anymore. Let me give you an example using David again. We've looked at the dark shadows in David's life, but the blessings in his life far outweigh the judgment of God in David's life. David was truly sorry for his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He repented and returned to following the Lord the rest of his life. When David died, here's how his epitaph read. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. David sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah, but don't forget all the years of him praising God, him writing psalms as he was shepherding sheep, uh, praying to God, meditating on God's word, Uh, crying out to God as he was being chased by Saul for 10 years. This was David behind the scenes. David had a heart for God and reaped a harvest of good far greater than he sowed. One blessing was that God gave David a wise son to take the throne after him, Solomon, who, by the way, was born to Bathsheba. Solomon made many wise decisions as king. Over time, Solomon strayed from God and sinned, but we read, Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. So God tells Solomon, You've sinned, but I'm not going to tear the kingdom away from you until after you die. I'll tear it out of the hand of your son, Rehoboam. Because of David, God allowed Solomon to stay on the throne. Years later, after Abijah, one of David's descendants, became a king who disobeyed God, we read, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him, and by making Jerusalem strong. This is years after David died. God was still blessing Jerusalem, 
by selecting a good man, Asa, to be the next king after Abijah. Here's an even more amazing text. God is talking to King Hezekiah, the king of Judah. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. This is 300 years after David died. God is still blessing Judah because of David. When we sow to please the Spirit, we reap a harvest of good greater than what we have sown. Jesus gives us a great example that we reap more than we sow. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. As people were listening to Jesus tell this story, they must have gotten discouraged. Jesus was telling them about the impact the gospel would have in the world. He likened it to seed, that birds came and ate up. Uh, The sun scorched some, and the thorns uh, choked out some. The disciples must have been wondering, will the gospel bear any fruit in this world? Is the gospel a match for the world? But listen to the end of the parable. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. This is the surprise of the parable. Remember, the surprise is always the main point of a parable. It looked like the seed was a miserable failure, but Jesus announced it would still produce a magnificent harvest. To folks listening to this parable, the thing that would stand out to them was not that some seed failed, but that there would be a magnificent harvest. Jesus says, trust me, the gospel will have a great impact in this world. Blessing, not failure. We'll have the final word. A man walking by a park one day uh, saw uh, young boys playing baseball, and he sighted up to the outfielder and said, uh, what's the score? And he said, it's 17 to nothing. He said, who's winning? He said, they are. He said, wow, looks pretty bad for you. Little boy answered, nah, it ain't so bad. We ain't been up to bat yet. That's what we can say today to the people who say the world is being ruined by the coronavirus. Our economy is in shambles. The number of deaths by opioid overdoses and suicide is out of control. The political divide is only getting worse. The spread of pornography is everywhere. The world is going to hell. We can say, ah, but watch the power of the gospel. Jesus isn't done with us. Jesus hasn't had his final time at the plate. 
Blessing, not failure, will characterize the Christian. Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. He means we will reap more than we sow. Our choices result in multiplied consequences. The prophet Joel also tells us that we reap more than we sow, good that we don't expect. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. I will repay you for the years the locust have eaten. If we return to the Lord, He promises to make up for all the coronavirus has taken. He promises to forgive us and make up for all the bad years we have suffered due to our poor choices. What a promise. So let's summarize. We will reap more than we sow. Our choices result in multiplied consequences. On the negative side, when we sow to the sinful nature, we reap a harvest of evil greater than what we have sown. Know this and ask Christ to keep you from evil. And when you sin, confess your sins quickly. On the positive side, when we sow to please the Spirit, we reap a harvest of good greater than what we have sown. Invite Christ into your life. You can do it right now as we pray. Love Christ. Follow Christ. If you do, He promises you many blessings. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this principle that we've seen, that we reap more than we sow. Our choices result in multiplied consequences. We see it's true both negatively and positively. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to avoid evil and uh, choose to follow you. We thank you for the promise that, the positive side of the promise, that when we commit our lives to you and commit to following you, it leads to multiplied blessings. We reap more than we sow. So I want to invite you right now just to pray. Uh, Commit your life to Christ if you have not done that. Um, If you are sowing evil, making bad choices, confess that and tell God you want to come clean and tell Him you want to follow Christ and do what He commands you. Uh, You pray right now.